Psalm 90, verse 12, New King James. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom or the King James apply our hearts to wisdom. I want to speak to you tonight on this simple, but not that simple subject, time. God bless you. Please be seated. Time. Well, now look at your neighbor and just tell them Happy New Year. Thank you, Brother Jerry, for mentioning that early. Uh, I was reading this past week, like a daily thing that I receive, and it said that you are allowed, I'm glad I'm allowed, that, that social media has told me that I am allowed to say Happy New Year until January the 7th. Aren't you glad to know that? I'm relieved, you know, that I could say that with permission. Uh, so use it generously through January 7th, and you're not allowed to say it anymore, I guess. And if you felt like 2023 zipped by, then I want you to know that 2024 is probably going to be a little more drawn out. That's because it's a leap year. People who were born on February 29th, 2020, can finally turn one year old this year. 365-day year, uh, you know, 366-day year means you can go back and drag out your 1996 calendar. It's the most recent match to 2024. And then if you don't mind, just hold on to your 2023 calendar because you can use it again in 20, uh, excuse me, you can use it again in 2034. So just hold on to it, you know, and I read that there's only 14 possible calendar configurations, so that made me feel much better. So time, you know, time passes by. I've heard people say the older you get, the faster time goes, and, you know, time flies when you're having fun. But I want to talk to you about time tonight, and my goal is not to put you on a guilt trip about time, but to share some insights about time, biblical perspective on time, and helping us as we work through this year, all 366 days of it, 66 days that we will uh, do better with our time. Psalm 90, it is a prayer of Moses, the man of God. You have a Bible with notes and it'll say Psalm 90, zero. Psalm 90, a, a Psalm of Moses. We think of David as the psalmist, but Psalm 90 is attributed to Moses and I love how it says Moses, the man of God. You know, Moses, the man who spoke to God face to face as a man talks to his friend. Moses, a man who walks so closely with God that when other people criticize him, God gave them leprosy, you know, so they learn to not make fun or criticize Moses. And Moses says in verse one, I'm not going to display all of these verses, but if you want to follow along in Psalm 90, We'll move through it rather quickly. Uh, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place. You have been our dwelling place in all generations. God has been our home. He looks back into the past, the patriarchs, the history of Israel, the people of God. And he said, Lord, you know, we haven't really lived here or there. We've been sort of transients. The New Testament says we're pilgrims and strangers. We're sojourners. We're citizens of heaven. So Moses says, God, it's you. You've been our dwelling place in all generations. You know, Moses, born in Egypt, fled Egypt when he was 40 years old, 
came back, led the people out of Egyptian bondage when he was 80-ish, leads them through the wilderness, and Moses is there for all those years, 40 years, 38 years or so of wandering, and Moses dies. So, you know, what, what campsite can Moses say is my dwelling place? If you've ever seen a map of all the campsites and the circuitous wandering of the people of Israel, he just said, you know, God, it's really not here or there or this city or that city. Uh, we've lived in a few cities in our lifetime and Atlanta is home to me, but I don't know if I go back to Miami where I was raised and there's some things about that that are still the same, not much. And I can go to Jackson, Mississippi, where we lived and can find a few things there that are like home and go to St. Louis where we lived for about eight years and our home was sold to the airport, bulldozed and my boys and I went back a few years ago and, and found where the lot was. We found an old dead tree and a detention pond and like that's where our house was. And can't really say that that's where we live, but, but the Lord is our dwelling place in all generations. In verse two, before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Moses is saying, we've, we've lived in you and you're really our dwelling place. And you exist above and beyond time. Verse four, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past and like a watch in the night. So to God, when God sees time, Moses says a thousand years is like a day that we spent. It's like yesterday. It's just gone or like a watch in the night for the Jewish people, a watch would be a three-hour shift of standing guard, a, a three-hour period of time. To God, it's hard to say, well, what's a thousand years? I know the New Testament is like a day, right? To God, it's just like that to him because he is from everlasting to everlasting. That's how God is. But then Moses says in verse 5 that our years are like a flood. You carry them away like a flood. Our years are like a sleep, like you went to sleep and you had a really restful night and you woke up and it just seemed like a few minutes. Now, if you didn't have a restful night, it might've seemed like however many hours it really was. But, but Moses says our, our lives just pass by so quickly. He said, our lives are like the morning, in the morning, like the grass that grows up. It flourishes, it grows up, and in the evening, it's cut down and it withers. So that's what our lives are like. God is from everlasting to everlasting. And a thousand years is nothing to God. But to us, our lives are really brief. And time is so precious. So because of this, in verse 9, Psalm 90, verse 9, for all our days have passed away in your wrath, we finish our years with a sigh you've ever seen someone leave this life, they might have left this life with a sigh and their breath went out of them. The breath that came into them when they were born, that breath goes out of them and there may be some brain activity for a while, but their life is gone. Our years, we finish our years like a sigh. The days of our lives are 70 years. And if by reason of strength, they are 80 years. And we know people can live longer than that. Yet their boast is only labor and sorrow for our lives, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. 
Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So because time is so short and the wrath of God will be poured out on ungodly people, Moses says in verse 12, because of all of that, teach us to number our days that we may gain or a heart of wisdom or apply our hearts to wisdom. So every day we need to value time. We need to value the days that God has given us because they're so limited and they fly away, right? And that we should spend our days trying to apply our hearts to gain wisdom. I know I'm combining the new King James and the King James that each day would be spent like that. Amen. We need to consider our frailty that we may or may not have 70 years or 80 years if we have strength for that. And this shortness and uncertainty of life means that we should number our days so that we spend our time on earth preparing for timeless eternity. Because after time begins the endlessness of God is prepared for his people. So we should acquaint ourselves with the brevity of life, the reality of death, the surety of eternity, that we should live our lives to gain the favor of God and that we would know one day we would live and reign with him forever and ever and ever. Teach us to number our days, to budget them, to count them. My dad was, uh, was not a highly educated person. He was a, a smart person, but he had a saying. He always was really particular about grammar. But, but he kind of slipped by on this one. He said, time is all you got. And when you run out of that, you ain't got nothing. And dad said that as he got older, because that is all you have. You have time. We don't know how much time any of us have. But when you've run out of time, you have nothing left. So teach us to number our days. I want to give you what may be some random observations about time. My message is structured and I spent quite a bit of time reading about time more than I could ever share in this message. But we know, as the psalmist has already said, that God is above time. He's not limited to time as we are, but he is sovereign over time. One day with him is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. Timothy speaks of that. The apostle Peter speaks of that in 2 Peter 3 and 8. God sees the past, the present, and the future as one continuum. He calls those things that are not as though they already were. I mentioned in a message a few months ago that God can speak to the future as if it is history, as if it is already settled. Amen. And that's the amazing thing about God. But unlike God... We are temporal. We are finite. Our lives are confined to 24 hour or so days, a certain number of days in a life. And that's just how it is. Now, what we need to know about time is that time had a beginning. In Genesis 1, 3, the Lord said, let there be light. And there was light. Saw the light. It was good. He divided the light from darkness called the light day, called the darkness night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. 
the first day, there was a first day. And then according to Revelation 22 and 5, when we get to heaven, there'll be no night there, no need of a candle, nor the light of the sun. The Lord will give them light. So we don't even need the sun in heaven and they shall reign forever and ever. And there's a phrase in the King James Bible, time shall be no more, probably means that time will not be delayed in that context. But time had a beginning, time will have an ending, and on either side of time is eternity. God had put eternity in our hearts and created us to live forever. And time is a testing ground, a proving ground for whether or not we spend eternity in the presence of God. Now, God has a lot of secrets about time that he's never revealed to anyone. And there are some secrets like he spoke of that, you know, his coming is a secret that even the son in his humanity does not know the day or the hour, the angels in heaven. In Acts 1 and 6, Jesus, when they asked him, Lord, will you restore at this time the kingdom to Israel? The Lord said, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the father has put in his own power. Sometimes we want to know things that God has reserved for himself. The Lord told Daniel, I wish I would have put this in my notes, said, I, want, I don't want you to write about that. This is sealed up to the end. There are some things that John saw in Revelation that the Lord said, you're not to write about that. That's just going to stay secret until that time. But then God has revealed some things and he's spoken about time. Now, and I want to pause right here. This is also not in my notes, but you know, God, God intentionally left his coming uh, like a surprise, a thief in the night. No man knows the day or the hour. It, it is like God wanted us to number our days, to live our days ready for him. Now I was reading through, you know, Genesis, like most of you are. And with Noah, God said seven days, I'm going to tell you how many days you've got before the flood comes. But do, how many are old enough to remember 88 reasons why the Lord is coming in 1988? And there are a lot of people that got all hyped up about that. And honestly, most of my friends and I did not because you don't know. And then we had to have a sequel, 89 reasons why he's coming in 89, sell a few more books. Hope he doesn't come in 89 so you can write a book about 90. And no, I'm just kidding there, but but we don't know when he's coming, <clears throat> but there are some things the Lord has told us even about the end in Daniel nine twenty four, the Lord speaking of Israel's timetable, that 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression. He tells us what they are to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. God said for Israel as a nation, national Israel, 70 weeks are determined upon your people. When did it start? Is there a pause? When does it start again? I believe 69 weeks and the pause of the church age and, and another 70th week uh, in the end. And then he talks about this, Daniel 9 and 25. There shall be 70 weeks and 62 weeks. And he says in verse 26, after 62 weeks, Messiah will be cut off. In verse 27, uh, there's going to be a covenant for one week, probably a week of years, seven years. And 
In the middle of that week, three and a half weeks, years in, there will be an abomination of desolation. In Revelation, we, we know about this times, time and half a time. So God told us some things about time as a sneak previews, as a little bit of understanding. But he left also darkness there so we would not know every detail so that we would learn to number our days and we would know enough to know that God has it comfortably in control. Amen. Time will be to begin. Time will end. God is in control of times and seasons. Amen. And then something else about time. I told you maybe somewhat random, not, but not really is that, that God is not in a hurry. A day is as a thousand years. Reading through the story of Abraham again. Time's wasting. We need to make the will of God happen. So Sarah says, take, take my, my servant, my maidservant, and have a son by her. And we know how that turned out. And Abraham is a hundred years old when Isaac is born. Abraham's been pretty uptight about this. I know he had trust in God, but God is not in a hurry. He's not worried about a hundred years passing by and Abraham and Sarah not being able to enjoy a child in their thirties and forties and fifties and sixties and seventies and eighties. And Sarah's 90 when Isaac is born. God's not really nervous about that. The deadness of Sarah's womb. Abraham's age. God is not in a hurry because he's in control of time. I'm, I'm fascinated by Genesis 15, 15. Now, again, all these verses are not on the screen. The Lord tells Abraham, you're going to go to your fathers in peace. You're going to be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation, your people that are going to go and sojourn, they're going to come out again for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. These Canaanite nations, they're evil, but their iniquity is not yet full. As if there is like the cup of wrath, you could describe it that way. And they're sinning and sinning and sinning. And God says, when it gets to full, I'll destroy them, but not yet. In fact, it's going to be over 400 years before that happens. And you might think, well, my goodness, that's, that's mighty merciful, you know. But God, he's not slack concerning his promises, but he's, he's long-suffering. Most of the time, we're really glad when he's long-suffering with us. We want him to be, have a, a hair trigger on other people. But merciful for us. Random thoughts about time. In the Bible, time is measured in years. Genesis 7, 11. Uh, 600th year of Noah's life. I'm not going to go. There's many, many scriptures, okay, about all of these things. But in the Bible, God speaks of years, basic unit of the calendar for them. But their year was not like our 365 or 366 day year. Uh, but theirs was the cycle of the sun, the moon, the stars, and planting and harvesting crops. There were months but not exactly like our months. The new moon would have dictated their month. Genesis 7, 11, again in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, 
of Noah's 600th year. So there are days and months that are spoken of in the Bible. So then there, there are weeks spoken of in the Bible. So years, months, weeks, you know, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. We know that even then that that was Sunday and that after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, where for centuries worship was probably on the Sabbath day, the, se- the sixth day, now it's going to be on the, the Saturday, rather. So now it's the first day of the week. That was the seventh day. We're going to have this first day of the week, and we're going to have weeks in the Bible. And there are hours in the Bible. Are you fascinated that in Isaiah 38, that the sundial of Ahaz went back 10 degrees, and the sun returned 10 degrees? So I don't know how that happened, but time went backwards for them. Jesus said, are there not 12 hours in a day? Their day was divided like that day and night, 12 hours, 24 hours. And then it's interesting that the Bible, it doesn't really talk about seconds, but it does talk about a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And the word in the Greek is atomos or like an atom. Something that for them in that day could not be divided. We know it can be split, right? But an indivisible period of time, when the Lord comes back for his people, it will be in the twinkling of an eye, in a moment, a period of time so small that you cannot divide it is what the idea is that the Lord will come back. But we could say a second or even less. Years, months, weeks, days, Hours and moments are, are part of the biblical units of time. We, we measure the lives of people typically in years. My grandfather lived to be 100 years and six months, but I really don't try to think about how many six months and so many weeks and days and hours. 100 years is a long time, right? So we just say he lived to be 100. I love this story <clears throat> When Joseph brings his dad to meet Pharaoh and Joseph is like a sheep herder and Pharaoh's a fancy ruler and Pharaoh asks Jacob how old he is. He must have looked really, really old. And in Genesis 47, verse 8, Pharaoh asked Jacob, how old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. And they have not attained to the days of the years of the lives of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage, the days of the years of our lives. So we measure a person's life. We tend to measure the length of their life in years. But the the length of a life is not necessarily the influence of a life. Teach us to number our days. There are people that live a long time, but the significance of their lives are really minute. It's not what really matters, you know, 
Now, there are a lot of promises in the Bible and principles about long life, but I, I don't want to get into that tonight. With a long life, I will satisfy him. Honor your father and mother. First commandment with promise, that kind of teaching. Jesus was only 33 years of age when he was cut off. The Bible said he was cut off from out of the land of the living and who shall declare his generation. In other words, he had no children to declare his generation. So who's going to take up his cause? Who's going to declare? But in that short life, he altered time and eternity. We speak about the depth of a person's life. You know, some people are a mile wide, but about an inch deep. The Bible talks about the wisdom of God as being depths. And there are some people in their lives that they've not just lived, but they have grown and they have gone down deep. Jesus speaks of people who have no depth of earth in them, no root in them, nothing solid about their life. They just kind of cruise through life and they have length, but not depth. I'm praying that God will help me number my days, that I may apply my heart to wisdom. What are we doing with the stewardship of the time that God has given us? Amen. The breadth of a life is, is in terms of influence. If you would have looked at Jesus' suitcase, he didn't have a lot of stickers on it for all the countries he had visited. He never traveled very far outside his land to a neighboring province or two. But Jesus's influence is far beyond anyone ever. Paul traveled extensively, but it was not as extensive travels, maybe, maybe over 10,000 miles. And I've preached about it. It's not part of this message. Traveled a long way, but it's what he did in his travels that mattered. Not the fact that he had a souvenir from every country. That he had visited. The influence of life and time. Starts with walking with God. Amen. Enoch walked with God. And he was not. For God took him. But before his death. Hebrews said he had this testimony. That he pleased God. And the impact of your life. What you do in time. That matters is that you, first of all, walk with God. And I'm not going to drill down into all of these ideas, but, but your influence on your family, the quality of your life, your interactions with them. You know, there's a series of books, One Minute Manager and the One Minute Parent, but, but I really believe, although you may be able to get a lot done in a minute with your family, you need to think about the quantity of time and quality, be where you're at, when you're there, but spending time with people that matter most to you that you're shaping for eternity. Friends and ministry and business and what you say, who you help, what you write, what you leave behind, not a material wealth, but of a godly legacy that someone could walk in the footprints of your life because of what you did in time. Around here, we, we say this a lot, that we are stewards of our time, our talent, and our treasure. But as I felt the letter of the Lord to talk about this tonight, a week or so ago, and thinking about this, we've really taught a lot more about your talent and your treasure 
and we have your time. I've taught about the stewardship of time. It's been a long time. I didn't even, on purpose, I did not go back and reference those notes. I wanted to just study and think and pray and talk about time tonight. Time, talent, treasure. You know, we say God is the owner. And we think about money, but we're talking about time. God is the owner of my time. I am the manager of my time. That makes me accountable for my time, for what I do with my time. God is the owner. I am the manager. That makes me accountable of the way I spend my time. Moses said, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts of wisdom or gain a heart of wisdom. Atlanta West is an amazing church when it comes to talent. I'm going to need to hurry here, but there's always next week. And the month of December was mind-boggling. Your generosity was incredible. We'll talk about it at the business meeting, at the uh, Imagine Update, but phenomenal December, mind-blowing. Wow. The talent of our church. And I'm not talking about how talented you may be, but the giving to God of your talents, whether you're a one-talent person or a five-talent person that's multiplied it to ten, serving God. But then there's this issue of time, and I believe that you're conscientious with your time. Uh, I, I, I took it out of my notes. I was going to talk about the big rocks. If you've never heard me tell that story or read that in Stephen Covey's, writing, Stephen Covey's writings, you can just Google the big rocks first, you know, but you've got to do what's most important first or there'll never be time for that in your life. The stewardship of time from a biblical perspective is teach us to number our days. Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no man can work. After time is eternity. But for you and me, it may not be at the catching away of the saints or maybe not at the end of all things. For many of us, it may be when we draw and exhale our last breath that we pass away with a sigh. And for us, eternity begins then, not when eternity begins for for the universe, for planet Earth. Too often... There's a vast difference between how we think we spend our time, plan to spend our time, and actually spend our time. No one has more than 24 hours in a day. I know that's a big revelation to you, but but some people have a little more discretionary time than others because of family and work and obligations and and things like that. But essentially, we, we do have the same amount of time in any given day. And and what we do with that is really important. I think there's three things you can do. You can waste your time. To me, wasting your time is anything that subtracts from your life, saps your energy, decreases your influences. Wasting time is doing something that has no eternal value, does not invest in another person, has no relevance to your purpose in life, plays no role in personal renewal, 
to make you better for your mission in life. And when you're finished wasting time, usually you feel pretty empty, pretty junky, pretty trashed, depleted, not reinvigorated. Wasting time may be like an emotional drug for stress, avoiding pleasure, immersing yourself in entertainment just to kind of get your mind off stress and pressures, responsibilities, obligations. But at the end of that, less fulfilled and more depleted. Wasting time is not the same as recreation, which is renewing yourself. So you can waste your time. You can spend your time, and we all spend time. Paul said, I'm willing to spend and be spent. There are some things that all of us do that we don't choose to do. We just have to do them, right? Things that are necessary. I don't really derive a lot of joy from paying bills, filing taxes, keeping up vehicle or home. But, you know, it's just necessities of life. And when you have to spend time doing necessary tasks, it makes sense to try to do them in the most efficient manner. Don't make a one-hour job take five hours, right? Time tends to fill the amount of time allotted to it. So, you know, don't let a one-hour job just keep growing and growing. Sometimes it does, whether you like it or not. Budget some time for routine tasks and try to finish them. And these are some practical little comments. Um, all of us have a limited number of days and time and energy. Some people may have more stamina than others, but we need to apply our hearts to wisdom. So we spend our time. And when you spend your time, I'm talking about doing things you have to do. Working. Work as effectively as possible. Be as good as you can on your job. You know, it's not all about making money, but if you're going to spend X number of hours in a day or a week or a lifetime or a career, why not do the best you can so that you can do the best for your family and the kingdom of God? Don't just kind of squander your time. And then you can invest your time. Waste it, spend it, invest it. In my view... Investing time relates to activities that bring profit and multiply, like investing money that grows. So when you invest your time, you're doing something with your time that is going to increase value. Increase value for you, increase value for other people, mostly increase value for the kingdom of God. So you want it to grow. You're going to do something that doesn't subtract from life, but adds to it. I believe that spending time, if you're married with your spouse or with your children, that is an investment. And I don't have time to get into any of these comments, but, but you should start early with your marriage and your family, not wait 40 years and then decide you're going to do it or wait till your kids are grown and then do that. Start when they're born and invest heavily up front. Time developing a skill is an investment in yourself that is will bring productivity, whether it is learning to sing or play an instrument or do something for work or even for fun, doing something that makes you better because I believe that when we make ourselves better for the glory of God, we bless the kingdom of God and we bless people. Time training another leader. 
multiplies your effectiveness, teaching someone to, to do anything that makes them better. You're investing in another person and it is investing your life. And I could talk about that a lot. Does it ever occur to you that in a sporting event that is tied to time, not like baseball that has innings that could go on endlessly, like a basketball game or a football game, you know, we're kind of in that season right now. There's a limited amount of time and clock management is so important. And really the first minute is just as important as the last minute. But doesn't it bother you when people really never buckle down and get serious until time is running out? And all of a sudden, their panic sets in and emergency and we're going to go no huddle or we're going to speed it up. We're going to try to do something to redeem time and, and time is a fixed asset. And you really shouldn't wait till you're in the last quarter of the two minute warning of your life till you decide to make a difference. Because you really can't invest much at the very end of life. I know you can, theoretically, but time is what you need, right? Time is on your side to invest early and often so that it has time to grow. And I'm not talking about money now. I'm talking about what you do with your life that ultimately affects eternity. So I pray that God would help us apply Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. I'm not going to take time tonight now to talk about the management of time. I may next week a little bit before we go into prayer. There are lots of books, lots of resources. It's January. I'm not really teaching this strategically. I felt led of the Lord to talk about this, but God's pretty strategic, right? that we should do what we can with the time that God has given us. At a funeral, I, I heard a poem read, and I've heard it read more than once, and I don't like things that are overused or trite, or whatever, but time is so important. And, you know, life is measured in the date of birth and the date of death, and there's that poem about the dash that's in between. So I want to read it to you now. I skipped a bunch of notes to get to this, and I'll come back to them later. I read of a man who stood to speak at the funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on the tombstone from the beginning to the end. He noted that the first came the date of birth and spoke the following date with tears. But the, he said what mattered most of all was the dash between those years. For that dash represents all the time they spent alive on earth. And now only those who love them know what that little line is worth. For it matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash. What matters is how we live and love and how we spend our dash. So think about this long and hard. Are there things you'd like to change? For you never know how much time is left that can still be rearranged. If we could just slow down enough to consider what's true and real, 
And always try to understand the way other people feel. And be less quick to anger. Show appreciation more. Love the people in our lives like we've never loved before. If we treat each other with respect and more often wear a smile, remembering this special dash might only last a while. So when your eulogy is being read, with your life's actions to rehash, would you be proud of the things they say about the way you spend your dash? Time. Would you stand? Time. I don't believe that poem is a religious poem, but it's pretty powerful. For those of us who understand eternity, then how we spend our lives is so critical. Amen. Again, I said this at the very beginning. My goal tonight is not to put you on a guilt trip. My goal is to bring an awareness to this fixed commodity called time. And that only God is above it all. And that we are time-bound creatures. And the old poem that became a song that said only one life. So soon it will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. Ultimately, the only thing that matters in time is what we do that affects eternity. Our own eternity. Save yourself from this untoward generation. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Then how our lives impact the life of another person toward that endless time, either in the presence of God or the horrors of a lake of fire. If you have a few moments, would you gather at the altar just want to reflect a little bit and pray and maybe you've made some New Year's resolutions. Mine have gotten simpler and shorter. Time. Let's ask the Lord to teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom to do the things that matter not just in time but in eternity amen let's pray right now as you're gathering thank you for coming amen